What's up, this Shaq Barrett, outside linebacker of the Tampa Bay Bucks, and you're listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. This is the 15th episode of Season 3. Today, we're going to be doing a running back deep dive, talking about guys like Javante Williams, Brees Hall, Chase Edmonds, and more, and giving our thoughts on why we either believe or do not believe in them for fantasy this year. Joining me today to break this all down is one of the most accurate experts in the history of fantasy football. He is placed in the top 10 in Fantasy Pro's most accurate expert competition in 10 of the last 12 years, winning the entire competition in both 2010 and 2014. He is also the director of forecasting at one of the leading fantasy sites in the world with over 71,000 followers on Twitter. He is 4 for 4's John Paulson. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Alex. Nice to be here. Uh, ready to talk some running backs. Oh, absolutely. I'm so excited to talk running backs today. Before we get into those running backs, like I said, you've been in the top 10 in 10 out of the last 12 years. Do you have any 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 real secrets or tips or like like what do you think the things are that that set you apart from other rankers that aren't able to be as consistent as you are year after year after year? Uh well, I think the setup that we have at 444 lends itself to uh repeatable accuracy and uh you know we don't win the accuracy championship every single year or even every other year but we're, we consistently finish pretty high and i think it has to do with the setup we have and it's just um without going into too much detail it's equations that we that we use um i update them every three years or so just to kind of keep up with what's going on in the nfl how things are changing between pass and run splits and and such and then you know constantly re uh, refining the process to uh make things a little bit better because i am open to um good analysis uh and new things that are happening in the industry and try to incorporate those into our rankings uh, i think it's a bad idea to be real close-minded if somebody has done some work that proves x or y or whatever and uh, you don't find a way to uh, sort of incorporate that into your rankings so i think that sort of sums it up yeah absolutely and the other thing i, I had to ask because and i i only heard this because like, i had justin boone in the podcast and you know that he's probably one of your your direct competitors almost every year i know he's not in the competition anymore but he's always been one of the top guys and he said that on on sunday mornings like when a game's at one o'clock He's up at like four in the morning, like all day going through every piece of news. Like, do you have to spend crazy amounts of time on that? Like su on Sundays as well, you know, to finish as high as you do? Uh, on Sunday mornings, I mean, I'm on the West Coast, so I typically okay. am out of bed before seven. Uh, yeah. Kickoffs at uh, 10 a.m. And uh, unless there's a London kickoff, which are, <laughs> that's like, that's terrible. I hate the London games because those are at 530, I think. Uh my yeah. time uh or maybe it's maybe it's 6 30. um but um i have to be up at least an hour before the london games in order to process oh, whatever wow. injury news is going on uh i don't spend six hours grinding rankings in the morning i typically do uh a full pass on saturday that takes two to three hours so that i'm pretty much caught up uh uh heading into sunday morning and then i'm trying to track uh you know it's it's always injuries it's almost always injuries uh who's gonna play yeah. who's not gonna play 
And the big problem is the late games because you're trying to guess uh, who's going to be active, who's not going to be active uh, in the late round of games or Sunday night football or Monday night football because those rankings uh, lock for you at the kickoff of the first round of games. So that's that's the grind there. So that's that's what really can set it apart sometimes, whether you got it right or not, on whether guys are active or, or in, inactive. Yeah, and I think uh, you know there are a lot of people that are in the contest who are doing live shows, uh, streaming or doing television or whatever, and that's fine. That, but I think that probably hinders their accuracy a little bit, and that's why one of the reasons why I think four for four and myself finish high along with some of these other sites that these people are not necessarily doing live television and trying to, you know, grind rankings at the same time. So um, it's sort of what depends on, you know, as a consumer out there, it, what do you want? Do you want somebody uh, providing live video content or audio content to you at, on Sunday morning? Or do you want them uh, in the rankings cave trying to grind, uh, grind out <laughs> accurate, accurate rankings, you know, every little piece of, injury yeah. news that it comes across the desk so that's sort Definitely. of the debate that i think the customers probably have yeah absolutely that totally makes sense whatever you do is absolutely working and again super um super impressed um with all your success and hopefully you know more years to come of the same thing but we are here to talk about running backs today a running back deep dive we got 10 players for everybody and we're going to get through as many as we can during the show to break down you know a little bit more of the insight and stuff like that with smart people like john have found when looking at these players and we're going to start with one of my favorite players um in fantasy football both last year and this year well he really wasn't last year because i was more going for ronald jones but we will start off with Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette, I'm super excited before, and I think he's someone that's super underrated. I think so many people are not talking about the fact that he was literally the running back three in points per game last year behind only Eckler and Jonathan Taylor. That's it. Those are the only players above him. I mean, he was seventh in weighted opportunities, which are carries plus targets where targets are weighted more despite missing three games, and he was still seventh. I mean, again, and he only did that while being 12th in snap share, but this guy literally – led the NFL, you know, in targets per game. He was on the field and he was clearly a guy that Tom Brady trusted and a guy that I'm excited about this year. But do you have anything different on Leonard Fournette? Do you think he's a value in drafts right now? Is he priced correctly? Is he priced above where he should be? Yeah, I think he's going um I don't know, RB10 somewhere around there at underdog. Um he's still just 27 years old. He averaged 17.5 touches per game in 12 games of Gio Bernard last year. So that's the one concern is that Gio Bernard might take some of those pass passing yep. downs, but the targets remain the same in the, in the, in the games with Gio versus the games without Gio. Yep. Uh, he had six, six targets per game and with and without Gio. So I'm not too worried about it. And then you look at the last five games prior to his injury, he had 19, 16, 24, 20 and 23 touches. So yeah, his, his workload sort of uh, was ramping up uh, prior to the injury. So, you know, they might try to uh, limit him a little bit in the first month of the season uh, to try to keep him fresh. I mean, they're they're definitely interested in a Super Bowl run, so they're not going to, you know, probably give him 25 touches in September. But um, he's going to be one of those high-touch guys, and that, that offense scores a lot of touchdowns. Uh, so he has touchdown upside as well. Do you think that he still has the same ceiling to be that like top three running back in all of fantasy and points per game? Or do you think that's a little bit outside his range of outcomes? I mean, I think he does. It depends on, it depends on touches uh, and yeah. how much they really want to work him. Cause there's going to be backs out there that are probably going to have more touches. So 
he's going to have to be efficient with his touches. The good thing for him is that they do score touchdowns, so he gets that upside, but he also catches a lot of passes. And as we know, in the running back ranks, it, it's really nice to have guys that catch four or five, six passes in a game in a game because you're going to get 30, 40 yards, maybe a touchdown out of, out of the passing game as well. And do you think that the last the question before we move on with him is, do you think that like if Gronk, like, I think Gronk's probably going to come back, but if he does or doesn't, what do you think benefits Leonard Fournette more? Because you could say, okay, if he does, the offense is going to be a little bit more efficient. He'll have more opportunities in the red zone, which is exactly what he needs when other guys are getting more touches. But on the other flip side of that, if Gronk doesn't play, it's probably a few more targets maybe for Leonard Fournette. So do you like do you have a stance on, on either side of that, or is it more like the push and the pull kind of even out no matter what happens? I yeah, I wouldn't really adjust for Gronk coming back. Okay. I think, the, like, as you mentioned, the him being out there helps – uh, as a threat in the passing game. He's also a good run blocker, yep. uh, which is something that people don't realize. I think a lot of people don't realize how good of a run blocker he can be. Yep. Um, but, and then if he's out, then obviously the, 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 the this, you know, there's targets that are freed up and he, you know, maybe Fournette gets an extra tar- target per game, which will help him. Yep, definitely. No, I, I totally, totally agree. The next guy I want to talk about is Javante Williams. I'll let you lead on this. Javante Williams right now is, is going very high, you know, in, in drafts. But do you think that he's going right around where he should be? Or do you think that – like I, I I struggle with him with the ceiling because I feel like he's like Nick Chubb light at this point where unless like Melvin Gordon gets hurt, that he's not going to be able to get to the top. How are how are you projecting him so far? Yeah, I mean I'm, I am waiting for the uh, underdog uh, ADP to adjust. He's RB13 right now, so it's adjusted a little bit because I think he was going top 10, top yeah. 8 prior to the Melvin Gordon signing. I still think that – uh, RB 13 is too high going ahead of, uh, Saquon Barkley and James Conner specifically. Um, and even David Montgomery, uh, in terms of, a t- you know, I, I, follow the touches when it comes to running back, uh, rankings. There's sometimes there's guys that, you know, are in that 14 to 17 touch range that can have a really efficient year and, you know, crack the top 12, but it's, it's far and few between and your, your best bets are those guys making or getting uh, 17 plus touches per game. Um, so, you know, looking at Javante, I think, you know, prior to this Gordon signing, I did have him in the top 10. I think he's a great yeah, player. Of course. Um, but, um, he averaged 13.6 t- touches in 16 games with Melvin Gordon. There was a game where Gordon missed and, uh, Javante had 23 carries, I think, which is what we would have seen if, if Gordon had, you know, didn't resign. So you got to take that game out of the equation a little bit to sort of see, what the split was um, he averaged 14.6 touches over his last five games. So that showed a little bit of uh, ramping up towards the end of the season, but uh, Gordon averaged 14.5 touches in 16 games with Javante. Uh, Javante actually had the higher uh, pass blocking grade uh, 63.3 to 41.4 at uh, PFF. I did see some narrative out there that they wanted Gordon out there for pass blocking, but I don't think that's the case at all. Um, so you, you just sort of summed it up. I mean, I think with Gordon back, um, RB 13 is a pretty steep price to pay. These guys are probably going to be pretty close in touches. And if that's the case, then I don't, you know, I don't really don't see how he finishes as a high end RB two or as an RB one, you know, barring a, barring an injury. And there is a new regime in town. So that's the one wild card is that there's a new head coach and he maybe treat this relationship different, but they went out and re-signed Gordon. So it, to me, it's like they, they want to have the same thing they had last year. Well, not not only that, and I and I know that some people you know feel pretty strongly about these training camp reports, whether they're either awesome or they're the least predictive thing in the world. 
But how about coming from Javante Williams' mouth himself, like last week? And he said himself, he said, it's going to be the same thing as last year. Like, we're going to be working together. Like, it, like there's a new regime is in town. And he, and he came out and said, it wasn't a beat reporter that you've never heard of. And that's saying that, you know, like these guys are going to split. It was Javante Williams himself saying it was going to be similar. And if it is, that's not great where Melvin Gordon hit 40 plus percent of the snaps in every game he played. Javante never went over 60% except the one game that he started. And it's the same thing. And I don't get the people that are saying, well, like, I'm going to draft him because he's going to be really solid. Well, Nick Chubb's really solid, but he's probably not winning you your league. You have to go for the guys that have top five in their range of outcomes without injury. And Nick Chubb's awesome. I love Nick Chubb. He's a great player. but And I get that he'll be in the top 15 every year, but he's never going to be in the top five when these guys are healthy. So why are you drafting him over someone like, like you said, like Saquon that could literally be the running back one overall this year? James Conner could be a top three running back with the workload that he's getting. Same thing with David Montgomery. They've done it. But why? Are, I don't. it doesn't make sense to me. Those running backs are always guys I will avoid. Yeah, you don't want to – I don't think you want to use a second-round pick on a player that has a touch ceiling like that. Yeah. I mean, I think Nick Chubb, you could even argue a higher ceiling because he tends to see 18-plus yeah. touches per, per game, whereas Javante hasn't so far, and he's probably going to be in that, you know, 14 to 15 range. So – so the upside's not there unless he unless there's an injury. Exactly. And I think there's also people that for the listeners that are like, like John and Alex, you guys hate Javante. Like, no, we don't hate Javante. Like, I love Javante. I think he's a great player. He's someone that could be a top five running back if Melvin Gordon, like, poof, they know snap doesn't exist. But that's just not the world we live in, unfortunately. And for that, we're gonna have to fade him in fantasy. But the next guy that's also in a little bit of a timeshare is is Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is a little bit of a timeshare. AJ Dillon has probably the largest quads that you know football has ever seen, and those things are intimidating. But how do you see Aaron Jones shaking out? Because Devonte Adams is gone, and Aaron Jones' splits have been better, you know, without Devonte Adams than with Devonte Adams, and they probably use him for more of the passing game. But do you think that like what is Aaron Jones looking like for you this year? And does he have a real ceiling, or do you think that he's going to be capped by someone as talented as AJ Dillon? Yeah, and you mentioned the splits with without Devontae over the last three seasons. Uh, he's averaged 5.1, Aaron Jones has averaged 5.1 catches per game versus 2.9 with Devontae in the lineup. His half PPR uh, points per game was 23.1, which is like RB1 overall number type, you know, scoring versus 14.9 in the games with Devontae. He averaged 19.6 touches per game in those games without Devontae. So, the thing that as a Packer fan and watching those games, I, the thing I asked myself is how excited should I get about these, these targets? And is this going to be like a full season plan to get Jones more involved as a receiver? Or was it a situation where, you know, they're, they're without Devante and they're like, crap, what are we going to do? Um, we, you know, this is a one game, two game span where we got to figure it out for these games. And we're really going to, you know, lean on Jones in the passing game. So that's the question. I don't think it's going to be, okay, he's going to see five catches, five plus catches per game necessarily, but he might hit four. Um, and I think he does have sort of 70 catch upside if, if things break his way. And I, I do think that, you know, Matt LaFleur is smart. Um, he knows that two of his most talented players are at running back. And we're going to see, I think we are going to see Jones and Dylan on the field together more often this year with Jones lined up as a receiver because he is really a good pass catcher. And if they can get him lined up on a safety or a, a linebacker, it's a great advantage for them. So uh, I do, I am very bullish. I have, I'm at seven uh, at half PPR. It, Jones is going RB nine right now. 
uh, at underdog. So I'm a little bit uh, high on him. And I, I've, I've noticed that his uh, ADP has crept up uh, from like the 12 range up to, you know, inside the top 10 now. And I think, I mean, I think he's a really good player and I think he's yeah. versatile and he has those catches, which is what you're looking for in fantasy. Exactly. And I think the other part of it that, you know, also people don't talk about enough is the fact that like, look at their offensive line. You know, like they played without David Bakhtiari like almost the whole season last year. And I know Elkin, Elkin Jenkins, who is also, I think, one of the best guards in the league. Like we're, they're going to miss him for the few, first few weeks, but he also went down late in the season. I mean, they were starting mm-hmm. an undrafted rookie and who, who played well, but he did not get to play to the level of these two guys that are like borderline all pro players, you know, year after year. I'm not saying they're going to be that, but their offensive line will be a lot better than last year. And like you said, I think this offense is going to look a little more different where it's probably more run heavy. And we could see some of those, you know, those good Madden, you know, two running backs on either side of the quarterback, both of them running routes, making plays, some more RPO type things. And I'm excited mm-hmm. to see that. But like you said, I think that that I think where you have him is great. But the other question I have for you is like if AJ Dillon stays healthy, is top three in Aaron Jones's range of outcomes? Uh, probably not. Probably not because he's not going to be that twenty-plus touch type guy. Um, you sort of for that to so you hit top three, you have to like everything has to sort of go your way. You have to get the twenty-plus touches per game. You got to score some touchdowns. You got to catch some passes. Um, I think with Dylan healthy the entire season, he's probably his ceiling is probably RB five or RB four which isn't bad, um, yeah. you know, for an RB9. I guess, you know, there's some people that are just swinging for the fences even in the first round. I think sometimes just hitting a double or a triple is, is fine. Just You just don't want to screw up your first-round pick, in my opinion. Okay. No, I, I like that, and I, I agree. Um, and that has definitely cost me in the past in some fantasy leagues, as it has for all of us. We've all, we've all had our first-round picks that, that have not worked out, but that is well, that is what it is. Go ahead. And then, and then Jones is, you know – he's going pick 18 right now. So you can get him in the middle of the second round. And I think that is an RB. If you use your second running back, or if you're adding him to your stud receiver, that's a pretty good situation to be in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, especially if you, like you said, you have Aaron Jones at running back seven. If you can get him around pick 18 and, and, you know, grab someone that's just going to be like a touch monster in, in like Najee Harris, that's just going to end up with like a ridiculous amount of touches and everything like that. That's crazy. Another note on Najee Harris real quick. I mean, it's crazy that I know he he came out and, and refuted it, but they said that he put on like 10 pounds of muscle or, or something like that this offseason, that he's like 244 pounds. Derek Henry asked um, real, real quick, where do you do you know where you have Najee Harris ranked um, right now? And do you and the other part of that is like, do you think that he's could will be better than last season? Because this offense will definitely look a lot different. It's probably a little harder to project. We don't know who the quarterback is going to be, but. Real quick, I, I have to ask, like, well, like, how do you have Najee Harris at this point? I have him at RB five. I think it's a volume, okay. yep. uh, you know, ranking for him. And you know, typically the I packed on fifteen pounds of muscle doesn't <laughs> work out for the player in question. Um, no, <laughs> but I don't. I'm not like too worried about him. He's going to be one of these guys who could literally get twenty five touches per game, and uh, yep. if he can stay healthy the entire season, he's going to accrue a lot of fantasy points for you. And they also improved their offensive line. I think they added some players, so they're they're looking to to try to run the ball and, and be better that in that aspect of the game. Definitely. Who's who's the extra player probably above him? I'm guessing you have JT, CMC, Austin Eckler. Is it, is it Derrick Henry that it's you Derrick have? Henry. Okay. Yeah, Derrick Henry's built different. Yeah, I, I, as long as that foot holds up, and I think that's the question with him. But I mean, yeah. I've already seen him running up hills and doing amazing things. I, I think he's he's also a guy that's just going to get a ton, a ton of touches, and he does every game. So, yeah. uh, and, and the fact that he came back and played in the playoffs, I think you know bodes well for his health this year. 
You and I know you said that with like the four for four and um like your projection system and that do you do you include hill sprints like as a as a thing in in the yeah I try not to get too jazzed up by hill sprints but you know it, when you <laughs> when you have a player who's got a foot injury he kind of came off yeah and you know didn't look great in the playoffs but he's already you know he's he's trucking his two hundred and sixty pound frame up up hills and looking looking good doing it um it does get you a little jazzed for him but I think he's just a guy a volume guy where you can't discount what he's gonna give you in the in the running game i agree and i think too many people are comparing him to like cam cam Akers, saying he was the exact same thing where they both struggled in the playoffs like an achilles and a foot injury are two i mean foot injuries are serious don't get me wrong but that's not something as severe as an achilles coming like five months off and playing what cam makers it was amazing but i think that people are you know overrating this foot injury a little bit too much like you said when he's clearly you know just built different he's not every other running back like this guy is literally like 250 pounds of a pure machine and that's that's why we love watching him play but another guy that i think is a okay maybe not a 250 pound machine but a guy that is is a machine in my eyes is is james connor and james connor proved me wrong last year he proved a lot of people wrong james connor was awesome and he was the running back five overall with chase edmonds for most of the year and that's the thing that i don't think enough people are paying attention to that in the games they played together with edmonds like Edmonds averaged 12 touches a game with James Conner, and that's going away. And I know that Daryl Williams is going to be awesome. I think he's one of the best handcuffs in the league right now, but he's not going to get anywhere near those 12 touches a game. Edmonds also leaves behind 53 targets. And I know, like you mentioned, that you know Daryl Williams, I'm sure, is a wonderful pass protector. But James Conner is the guy that you want on the field, and he's been more healthy than people realize. He's played at least 13 games in four of his five seasons. Like, like after what we saw last year with running back injuries, I think that you and I both would, you know, sign up for at least 13 plus games at a running back, no matter what that looks like. But, you know, that that is what it is. But are you are you in on James Conner the same way I am? Or are you saying that this guy is just, you know, a little overrated with his age and, you know, what the offense will look like? Yeah, I apologize. My dog just started howling. He must either be a big uh, James Conner fan or be sad (laughs) about Chase Edmonds leaving or whatever. I don't know. Um, I... I'm big on James Conner. I have him at RB12. This is a serious volume situation for him. And he actually showed some juice last year, I thought. And he's still only 27 years old. It seems like he's 29, 30, 35. I don't know. But he averaged 20.8 touches in the five games without Chase Edmonds. That includes five catches per game uh, versus just 1.2 catches per game uh, with Edmonds in the lineup. So this is like Edmonds' role is very defined. And so you see Daryl Williams get signed and then the immediate reaction is that he's great in the passing game. And all oh, this is terrible for James Conner. But if you really dig in, uh, Daryl Williams is not a good pass blocker. Uh, James Conner was the number one rated pass blocker at PFF last year. Wow. Uh, so I, I just think that Conner, and then they're pretty similar as receivers. Uh, Conner averaged over 10 yards per carry or per catch last year. And Williams was about nine something. So, I think you know Williams is a solid addition, and if he is, uh, the if you know if there's if there's an injury to Connor, I think Williams will be okay. Uh, he'll he'll vault into RB two territory, but uh, I think Connor is just better in every facet of the game than Williams, and I think this will be a pure uh, change of pace backup type situation where they you know they just need to get Connor a rest, and and Williams comes in and takes a few touches, but I don't think he'll see the twelve. Uh, touches per game that Edmund saw last year that you mentioned. So I, I'm I'm big on Connor this year. I think he's. Uh, a really nice value given where he's being drafted. I think he's RB 15 off the, off the board and you can sometimes get him into the third round. Um, that's, that's a real nice value given the number of touches he's likely to see. 
But I think not only that, but I think the other thing you highlight is that like he was the number one, you know, pass blocker last year, but he was also really great, you know, in, in the passing game. I mean, he was fourth in yards per route run among all like running backs. And again, I know, I know that, you know, again, similar to the Hill sprints, like some of the catches that he was making in those nationally televised games, like those, some of those one-handed catches. I mean, like, like the point being is just that like he can clearly catch the ball. He's not Kenneth Walker. That's not going to catch passes or something like that. Like he's someone that literally can really catch the ball, catch the ball well. And he was also fourth in fantasy points for opportunity. Every time they were giving him the ball, like you said, he was showing juice. He wasn't the like the the scar tissue that we saw, you know, at the end of the Steelers that first season when he took over and he started to really struggle down the stretch. Like, we didn't see that at the end of the season last year. He was full steam ahead, and I hope we see something similar. And, you know, I'm happy for him that he got paid accordingly for, you know, what he was able to do. But Another guy that, you know, is is a machine. And I know I keep going back to this machine thing, but this guy is a machine and it's Brees Hall. And, and Brees Hall is someone I'm so excited about. I'll let you take it away first. How are you feeling about Brees Hall? Uh, well, obviously he has a lot of talent. He's got the home run speed, uh, just a good, he's three down upside uh, with him. I think the concern that I have is that, you know, just look at the beat writer reports immediately after the the pick, and it's you know Connor Hughes of the Athletics says that the Jets will quote deploy a running back by committee as long as Mike Lafleur is our offensive coordinator, uh, end quote. And you know what we saw last year was definitely a, a committee. Uh, his his brother Matt likes to run a committee and split touches. So if you're following, the, if you're trying to follow the touches and follow the volume. Um, Hall doesn't look like he's going to be a guy that's going to be getting 17, 18 uh, touches per game on a regular basis. Uh, and it's also the Jets. So how good is this offense going to be? How many touchdowns are they going to score? Uh, you know, it's okay to have a, a running back that's in a committee uh, with a team like the Packers when they're going to score a ton of touchdowns and gain a bunch of yards and the offense is super efficient. But when it's the Jets and, you know, the number of touchdowns they score is, you know, two-thirds or a half of what the Packers score, then then suddenly those fantasy points are driving uh, drying up. I think Hall is very interesting if if Carter weren't there. Um, obviously, if anything were to happen to Carter in the preseason or something like that, God forbid, then the Halls would shoot up my rankings. But, I mean, I have him as a, you know, low-end RB2 right now, and it's just a question of volume. I think Carter was pretty good last year, and I think they're going to, incorporate him and it's going to maybe they don't do, do a 50 50 split but it might be 60 40 and that's enough to sort of tank uh Brees hall's upside as long as carter is healthy i'm i'm a little bit probably more excited than than you are and i think that's fair completely following the touches i think everything you said was was valid i think the reason that i'm a little bit more bullish on him is the fact that i mean a rookie running back has finished in the top six in fantasy for the last five years the worst finish at the best rookie running back was running back 15 also though, but this running back class is not nearly as strong as some of the ones that we've seen, you know, where that last five year class includes like a class with Dalvin cook and Alvin Kamara in the same draft. So that's what props those up. But again, a rookie running back has been 15th or better in five straight years. You know, the worst year was miles Sanders who snuck into that. And Brees hall was also the second most athletically tested running back since 2006 in Raz score, which is relative athletic score. People that don't know, testing just how elite people's athleticism is. And the only player higher since 2006, I was born in 2000, was Saquon Barkley, only player more athletic. That's pretty amazing. And I think that 
The Michael Carter thing to me is a little bit overblown in the sense of the passing game, not the role, but just the passing game itself where Michael Carter only had four plus targets in three out of his 14 games and 2.5 out of three came without Zach Wilson. I say 2.5 because one of his over four target games was against New England where Zach Wilson threw 10 passes before he got hurt. The other two games came with Mike White, you know, the, the check down king forever um, and again, otherwise he wasn't getting super highly targeted. It's not like he's this super, he's not Austin Eckler. That's how people are making him out to be that. He's just this great pass catching back. So I think that if he's not necessarily getting the passing work and Brees Hall is a, as athletic as they say he is. And then if you look at the fact of the historically rookie running backs and how that there has been a good one, and I don't think it's going to be Kenneth Walker or Damian Pierce or Tyler Algier. I don't think those guys are going to be top 15. I think that, you know, if you're looking historically that, Brees Hall is the best chance to do it. But again, I understand that the other side of it is that, John, you're like, I don't I don't care about your historical comps, Alex. Like, I care about following the touches, and I'm going to follow the touches. So that's fair. Well, I would I would just say that he's got a chance. Um, yeah. Uh, I think this, the, the running, you know, there's been a rookie running back in the top 15. It, we don't always know who that is at the start of the yeah. season. That's the other issue is that, you know, there's going to be injuries that are going to clear up these running back rankings quite a bit as the you know the summer and the preseason uh and even the first week or two of the season you know injuries happen and all of a sudden there's a rookie a rookie like Kenneth Walker who's uh in a great spot or Brees Hall who's in a great spot and that person now is as you know has moved up to RB1 ranks um and you know sort of last year Elijah Mitchell was an interesting case I don't think he finished top 15 but he came out of nowhere and ended up posting pretty good RB2 numbers whenever he was healthy or RB1 numbers when he was healthy. So um, your point is taken. I just, you look at what they're, what the beat writer said, do I take everything that they say by, you know, as gospel? No, but you know, Mike LaFleur does come from the uh, LaFleur family where they, where they, you know, they talk about running back by committee at, at Thanksgiving <laughs> and you know they talk about how great it is. So I, I I just think you know if he if he's a guy that doesn't come off the field, then yes, he's gonna he's gonna do a lot better than where I have him ranked. But you know from what I can tell, they're gonna you know maybe two series for Hall and one series for Carter, and uh, that's gonna cut into Hall's uh, upside. Well, it could be something similar that we all said last year with Javante Williams, where the talent is clearly there, the players clearly there, and um and hold hold on. I'm not saying that Michael Carter is anywhere near as talented as Melvin Gordon. I'm not saying that. But the same way that you said where it's going to be frustrating, where if they believe in a committee and that's what they talk about at not only Thanksgiving dinner, but Christmas dinner, and they talk about it at both holidays, then it's it's going to be pretty tough to see Brees Hall, you know, take that full load that we liked him. So I'm I'm with you there. That totally makes sense. But let's go back to Elijah Mitchell. Elijah Mitchell, that is is pretty interesting. And I wish that we didn't see him get banged up so much, but Every game that he was a starter, he averaged over 20 touches. I mean, he was ninth in expected fantasy points. Once again, he'll have a top three offensive line this year. He was clearly explosive. The only players with more rushes of 10 yards last year were Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, and Jonathan Taylor. The explosion was there. And I think the other thing that is also pretty interesting about Mitchell is the fact that when he got banged up a couple games, which he did, every time he came back, Shanahan went back and fed him right away. It wasn't like... The usual, okay, we're going to go to someone else playing the hot hand. It was whenever Mitchell was healthy, they played him. And I know they drafted Tyrion Davis-Prince, but maybe that's more of just, you know, the, you know, Mitchell getting banged up a little bit more than it is the fact that Mitchell isn't good. But I think the other thing, like you said, is this is also another team that, you know, likes to do running back by committee. But how are you feeling about Elijah Mitchell? Uh, I He's going in the sixth round, so yeah. I think that's fantastic value. He was – 
you know, he averaged uh, 18.8 carries, 1.7 receptions. You'd like to see those catches higher. Maybe that's something that they start to feed him a little bit more and feature him a little bit more in the in the passing game in his second season. But, you know, when Mostert went down and, you know, we were sitting there coming off of uh, week one where Mitchell had a big game against the Lions, I looked at this team and what Kyle Shanahan had done in previous seasons and there was this narrative out there that he it's Shanahanigans and you can never figure out who the 49ers are going to feature at running back. But really, when you look at it, once Mostert was the guy, he was the guy. So whenever Mostert was healthy, he was getting the lead number of carries and was doing well. Shanahan favored that speed that Mostert had, and that's the same speed that Mitchell has. And that's why I was like, if you need a running back or want a guy for the rest of the year want to shore up your running back room, you know, put in a max fab bid or put in 90% and go get him because I think he's going to be the guy. Uh, you, the only question mark you had there was like, was Trey Sermon in the doghouse? What was going on? Cause they traded up to get Trey Sermon. And the next thing you know, Mitchell's ahead of him on the depth chart. It was just a weird situation that we weren't used to seeing. So I say all that to say that, you know, I don't care what else is going on with the running back room there. The only concern I have with Mitchell is his durability. He has a tendency to get nicked up. So if you're going to draft him as your RB2 or your RB3 in the sixth round, uh, you just might want to have a, a plan, you know, for, for the four games that he misses. But when he's out there, he's going to get you the touches that you want. Uh, that running that running game has always been strong. They lost a couple of guards, I think, in free agency. Uh, so, you know, I'm a little concerned about the um, offensive line, but I think for the most part, he's got the speed that Shanahan wants. Now, the one thing that's concerning a little bit is that the rookie Prince, I think he's fast too. So if, you know, if Mostert were to go down and they tab Prince to be the guy and he takes off, then maybe there's a, an issue there because they don't have a ton of draft capital uh, in Mitchell. But I think Mitchell is the guy. I, I think that's probably the long shot that that's going to happen. So. 4.65 yards per carry at the fifth yard, fifth highest yards after contact per attempt per pro football reference uh, as a six round pick. I don't think it gets much better than that. Yeah, agree. And, and Tyrion Davis Prince is pretty fast. He runs a four, four, eight, which is 82nd percentile for 40 yard dash. I mean, it's not like the four, three, three, that four, three. Yeah. Yeah. That, that Eli Mitchell ran, which is insane. Um, but again, still really fast. And I think that definitely someone they will use. But like you said, again, in the sixth round, it's a great value. Another player that's also going, you know, in that same range, but a little bit lower is like Miles Sanders. And Miles Sanders is obviously a weird case because like he had no like his team led the NFL in rushing touchdowns. He was the lead back, but had no touchdowns. And this year, he's only competing with Boston Scott, Kenneth Gainwell, Kennedy Brooks, and Jordan Howard but also has the number one blocking unit in the NFL, you know, yards per carry, I think is an arbitrary stat, but he said a 5.5 yards per carry, which was second best in the NFL last year. His yards per carry has gone up in three straight years. So he's improved as a runner playing with a great blocking unit, not a lot of competition and is going to be playing in a really run heavy offense. So why are we fading miles Sanders? That's, that's the real question here. And I, I I'm fading miles Sanders. I don't even know why. So can you, can you give us some insight here, John? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know if I know why either. I I almost have I, I've had zero shares of Miles Sanders. Me, I can't remember having him on a team. I might have had him on a best ball team. Uh, I, he's just never somebody I'm targeting. Uh, I don't like the volume that he gets. On, he doesn't get consistent volume. Yes, they run a lot, but that's a lot of Jalen Hurts uh, running and 
as you mentioned, he doesn't get rushing touchdowns or he hasn't so far. Uh, he does have three down ability. And if they did want to start featuring him, they could. You say, oh, well, you, not you, but anybody sure. says that Boston Scott, Kenneth Gainwell, that's not much competition. It's the same group as last year. And, uh, you know, he had double digit carries. Sanders had double digit carries in just six of his 12 games. Uh, as you yeah. mentioned, zero rushing touchdowns. Um, nothing much has changed in that backfield. So why would I think that it, this is finally the year that they're going to, you know, give him 15 plus touches per game? I just don't, I'm just, I mean, if I miss out on it, it's fine. Like it's just not somebody I'm going to keep betting on or thinking that I can, you know, predict when he's going to break out because it seems like it's a week to week thing. Sometimes he'll get 20, then he'll get seven the next week uh, in terms of touches. He's still not scoring touchdowns and it's just a frustrating situation having Miles Sanders on your team. Definitely. And I think the other thing that like, I think the reason that I would fade him is, is range of outcomes. You know what I mean? Where like, I just don't see a range of outcomes where, where Miles Sanders like ends up as a running back one. Like again, they just have done nothing to show us that they are ever going to feature him. They didn't do it his rookie year. They didn't do it the year after they really didn't do it last year. Like we want Miles Sanders. He's clearly really talented and I think he's a great player, but like, I just don't see a world where he is the featured back when they have other satellite pass catching backs, they're going to have to have a role. You know, they're not going to, I mean, they have, but I don't think it's going to be Kenneth Gainwell, you know, like at the five yard line, they're going to be putting in to run up the middle. No, they're going to have him in on passing downs because that's like, that's the role that he's, you know, supposed to be used in. So I think it's more the range of outcomes is why I don't have any shares of Miles Sanders, someone similar to like, maybe you don't hate him as much as I do, but like Damian Harris, where he might be great and wonderful, but he's just never going to be on the field where the range of outcomes makes sense. Last year, what he did with the touchdowns is you know, probably the highest ceiling that that he gets in that point. But we will move on. Another guy that is in a weird situation, and you've done a great job so far at kind of reading the tea leaves, but what are the tea leaves with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Because I, I talked to Sigmund Bloom, who will be on a later episode. That episode will also drop. And, and Sigmund kind of said that, he hinted that, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire said they had gallbladder surgery, and, and he was 160 pounds coming into training camp, not ready. And I don't know anything about gallbladder surgery, if that really affects it or not. It's a lame excuse ceh but you know ronald jones is there and you know like it or not ronald jones has still been a top 24 running back in fantasy in two out of the last three years he's only 24 years old but again clyde Zilaire has the first round draft capital and but at the other side of it once again playing both sides he was the worst running back of their starters last year jarek mckinnon and daryl williams had much higher points per game in their starts than ceh did so it's all over the place. You can look at it a lot of different ways. That's the annoying thing about fantasy is I could make him look up to be like the worst player ever, the worst first round draft pick. Or I could say that he's in the best offense, like one of the best offenses in the league. He's in a great situation. He's a first round pick and he had surgery and that's why he didn't perform. So where do you stand in all this? Yeah, he's another player that I don't have often. Uh, yeah. Looking at the ADP, you know, you have Mitchell. A.J. Dillon, Edwards Hilaire, Miles Sanders, uh, Walker, Cordell Patterson, who I think we'll talk about later. I'm probably not going to have a single uh, share of uh, Edwards Hilaire this year either. Um, yes, you can tell yourself a story that, you know, this is his breakout year and and all that because it is a good offense. You know, Tyree Kill's gone, so there's going to be some touches to go around. And um, But... What have they done so far with him? It's been a committee. They have yet to commit to him as a full-time back. Yep. Uh, you're also now bringing in uh, Ronald Jones, who, as you mentioned, has been a solid running back. I think he's a you know, first, second down type running back. You might have uh, Edward Tillaire, you know, catching more passes, but he's 
his pass blocking has been bad. Yep. Uh, this, you know, in his career. So I'm not like, not like Rojo is going to come in and be a great pass blocker. I mean, Edward Schiller yeah. might be the best they have, or, you know, at it's least be out there. Much. It's not saying much. So what, what can we honestly expect from Edward Solaire in terms of touches? It's not, he's not going to be a tie touch guy. I'm thinking 10 to 15. I'm thinking, you know, eight to 12, eight to 13 for Rojo, mostly carries. Uh, yes, there'll be some touchdowns available, but this is, you know, I don't think he has RB one type upside unless there's an injury or something like, you know, this, this whole thing with the uh, gallbladder surgery, there might be something to that. He comes back in just, you know, looks like a rock star, um, you know, maybe, but you know, you look at what Andy Reid said about Rojo after the signing, he said he'll have a chance to be a major part of the offense. And then he said, they'll work together and be a pretty good combo. So that tells me that they're looking at a committee there and, and then that's what they've done all, you know, it's not a surprise. That's what they've done for the last three years. Yep. Yeah. Again, like when there's no Kareem hunt or Jamal Charles, like again, they've, they've kind of had a little bit more of a, of a committee when they don't have that elite talent. I don't necessarily think that CH is the elite talent. The other thing that I just want to touch on real quick with that is like, like narrative is not winning you fantasy football championships. Like I understand John that they have a 25 year old wide receiver who's had two 90 plus catch seasons and that is playing in one of the best offenses in the league, but they also have a 25 year old wide receiver that's yards per route run has gone down in six straight years and has been one of the least efficient guys in all of football. Like the narrative with CEH and Juju is not going to win you a championship this year. I'm sorry. Like, look at the underlying numbers. You know, draft guys like Gabriel Davis instead that have good underlying numbers that are telling you that when they get a role, they'll do it. That's a conversation for another day. I used to hate Gabriel Davis. I do like him now. But again, this is the running back episode. What are we doing here? But the next running back, second to last one we'll talk about before we get into our flag plants, is Chase Edmonds, also in an ambiguous backfield. Is Chase Edmonds going to be the guy for you in, in Miami? Is this going to be a muddled backfield? What do you think this looks like? Well, this was a really interesting signing when it first happened. They gave him, you know, sort of starter money. Uh, we've seen Chase Edmonds in the three down role before and he succeeded. He, he's, you know, if, if he had gone in and they hadn't signed anybody else, I'd be a little bit concerned about his ability to, to, to stay upright and be durable, you know, his durability issues. But um, you know, I sort of would put him in the same category as Elijah Mitchell, where you just are going to expect him to miss a couple games during the year and uh, just got to sort of work around that. Um, but they signed Raheem Mostert, who came over uh, with Mike McDaniel from San Francisco, who has a ton of speed. Uh, they signed Sony Michelle, who had a pretty good run with the Rams last year. Um, so what they did add some talent at the in the offensive line, which is good. And my offensive line uh, article is going to be coming out soon where I look at all the free agent signings and add up the, the talent in and talent out for each offensive line unit. And that sort of helps me with my running back rankings, knowing who's going to approve or get worse at, on the running on the offensive line. Um, but the Miami uh, rushing game has some upside. The question is, is there going to be a player that's going to get enough carries to take advantage of that upside or be healthy enough to take advantage of that upside? And I don't know. I think Edmonds is probably your passing down guy. He's going to get some carries. Um, but, you know, Mostert is not really a, a pass catcher. He's a first, second down guy. I think Michelle kind of falls in the same category. So I think what they want to do is have Mostert and Michelle duking it out for the early down role with Mostert probably having the advantage if he's uh, healthy because he's got the history with Mike McDaniel. Um, with Edmonds coming in on third down, getting some carries here and there on first and second down. 
So it's going to be a committee, uh, and it, the offense is really going to have to improve and score more touchdowns for any of these guys to be a consistent fantasy producer in my mind. So I have Edmonds a little bit lower than what uh, the consensus is, and then I think that Mostert is actually a decent value because he looks like you know, he's just going really late, and everybody thinks he can't stay healthy, And but if he is, um, he could really make some hay behind that uh, revamped offensive line. Yeah, and that's the thing is I just feel like that with this Dolphins backfield, it's going to be too much pin the tail on the donkey with like week to week. Maybe who's going to be the guy that scores the most points, but also like pin the tail on the donkey where it's like it's going to be fun for about five minutes until you realize that they have a different guy for like every single down. And But that's that's obviously until Raheem Mostert like blows blows his knee or something. I shouldn't say that. That's that's not cool to say because it's just Raheem Mostert has trouble staying healthy. And I'm sorry. It's just the truth. But again, the point being is just that like week to week, you could literally like make an argument that any one of these guys could end up as the running back one each week, like every single week. And I don't think there'll ever be a true guy that is the leader for more than, you know, a couple of games at a time. And it might be fun for the waiver wire. I mean, I'm sure it'll be like the waiver wire backfield where every week, you know, you you pick up the guy that, you know, had a good week last week and you hope that he repeats it again. But I think that's probably the best case scenario. But Another guy that I hope there's a best-case scenario for, although unlikely, is the last running back we'll talk about today, and Cordero Patterson. Cordero Patterson is interesting because, you know, he was a top-10 running back in fantasy last year, and he's only competing with Tyler Algier. But he's also the guy that's 31 years old and has only had 100-plus touches once in nine seasons. And the other side of that is the fact that, you know, a, a, a beat reporter came out this week and said that, Cordero Patterson's not going to play as much running back this year. He's going to be playing more wide out. And who knows, you know, like what actually happens, you know, come down to minicamp, but because there's not a lot of competition. I mean, the mighty and wonderful Mike Davis is gone. So maybe more touches for Cordero Patterson. I'm being sarcastic when I'm saying that, obviously. But this thing could look a little bit interesting. But from the tea leaves, do you get any indication of what his usage could look like? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, beat reporter beat reports from camp will tell us more yeah. like you know how many carries is he getting in camp versus but you look at their receiving situation and you know it's drake london it's kyle pitts and then you know just a bunch of wide receiver four wide receiver five types so patterson could see more uh routes which is not bad if he's you know let's say his carries you know are cut in half but he gets you know 1.5 as many catches um that could be good for him. I think that his his ADP is so low. His consensus rank is RB38. Um, I have him at RB27. Wow. Uh, his, his consensus rank is RB38, but he's going off the board 28 at underdog, and I think that's probably fair because I have him at 27. But he averaged 13.3 touches per game, which is 34th amongst running backs last year, so very low touches. And I say, oh, well, I follow the touches, and I do. But when you start talking about eighth round picks seventh eighth ninth round picks then you're just looking for guys who are getting high yield touches and he gets high yield touches they feature him in the red zone he scored a bunch of touchdowns last year he finishes the fantasy rb9 with the 19th highest per game scoring average so the fact that he played some game extra games compared to the field helped him there but he was the rb9 uh prior to the week ankle sprain week 10 he was the fantasy rb7 through the first nine weeks um so, you know, I think he can uh, outproduce what he's where he's being drafted, certainly. And you're looking at, okay, maybe his role changes a little bit, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing uh, that he maybe catches more passes and has a few 
uh, less carries, uh, you know, LGR can take over some of that between the tackles uh, stuff and uh, take kind of take the load off of Patterson and they can use him in those, you know, in the red zone around the, they seem to like him there because he is able to make a guy miss and then go score or they get in the ball uh, via pass and he's able to make a guy miss and go score. So um, if he's still getting that red zone work and getting some touches and then some other catches throughout the rest of the field, then I think he's going to outperform this, uh, this ADP. Yep, definitely. I'm, I'm totally with you. And I think that he definitely could. And again, I think it's going to be more of like, this is June. We're, we're trying to speculate the best we can, but you know, come like late July, early August, probably won't get a better indication of where things look like. And that's where we could see a massive shift in his ADP, depending, you know, what his role looks like. But again, the other thing you mentioned is just the fact that like, it's not like there's a lot of big playmakers in this offense, you know, like Calvin, you know, Calvin Ridley, you know, isn't, isn't playing this year. And, you know, they don't have Julio Jones. He's not walking through that door. They have Kyle Pitts, but outside of him, like who's going to be their, their big weapons outside of him and Drake London. Like I think Cord- Cordero Patterson is a chance to really, you know, get some significant touches. And does he necessarily deserve them in most NFL offenses? Maybe not, but this offense is the perfect place for him to go and get more touches. He's already done it once. Why not again? So I think he's definitely a value in drafts. And I might not have him as high as running back 27, but where he's going at, at running back 37 or 38 that late in drafts where you can get a guy that was, you know, as good as he was last year. I think that's someone that I would definitely hit the smash button, you know, buying and drafting him all day. But that is it for the running back deep dive. And, and today, John, I know it's your first time on the show, but I've been hinting at this for 14 and a half episodes now that I finally have my flag plant ready. I didn't want to plant my flag unless I was sure because I take my flag plants very seriously that I want. I had a real take. Um, and you also have your flag plant, and I'm excited to hear it. So we will start with you before I give my big reveal. Your boldest prediction that you believe in for 2022. What are the touches telling you? I'll leave the floor up to you. Uh, I'm assuming you wanted to talk about a flag plant running back. So I, since this is a running back episode, so sure. um, I don't take my flag plants that seriously. So <laughs> I'll just say that <laughs> you take yours very seriously. I don't know. I I think David Montgomery will end up as an RB one. He's going in the, I think he's going late fourth, fifth round. Um, always up there amongst the leaders in touches. Um, he does, you know, Khalil Herbert, Herbert is actually one of the most valuable, uh, cheap handcuffs, I think, out there. But he doesn't have a ton of competition in Herbert. He does. They don't seem like they want to give Herbert touches, uh, you know, and, and sit Montgomery down at any time. So I have Montgomery at uh, RB13 right now. And I, I'm assuming that one of these guys ahead of him will get hurt or miss enough games that Montgomery uh, finishes within the top 12. So I think that's a fairly bold flag plant. What's yours? That, that is a that is a very bold flag plant. And, and real quick, let me before we get onto mine, because I have to you know have to keep you know making people wait. But do you do you worry about the touchdowns at all for David Montgomery, or do you think that again this running back one is him being pretty efficient, you know, on the ground and getting a super high volume of touches? Uh, he'll get he'll get some of the rushing touchdowns there. There aren't going to you know this offense is not going to be very good. Uh, that that is always a concern, but it's it's been that way, and he's been producing pretty good numbers despite that. Um, I think he's he has what you want otherwise, which is some catches and a lot of volume. So I think, you know, he's if they even are decent or, you know, mediocre and he gets six or eight touchdowns and he's going to be in, in good shape. Well, I, I think the other thing about that is that like and, and here's a stat that I had for Najee Harris last year when they were like they have the worst offensive line of all time. I'm not drafting Najee Harris was that 
you know, for running backs that hit 300 touches in a season, where extrapolated to 17 games is about 19 touches a season, 98% of running backs since 2000 have been a top eight running back in fantasy when they hit 300 plus touches. So if David Montgomery averages like at least 19 touches a game, chances are he's going to be a running back one. So I, I love that take. I'm finally ready to debut my take. I'm super excited about this. And, and John, I debated this for a long time because last year my flag plant was DeAndre Swift. And DeAndre Swift was hitting for most of the season until he ruined my Thanksgiving. And all I had to talk about was running backs by committee um, after that. But I, I am not someone that takes these things lightly. And my flag plant for this year is, is DeAndre Swift. I just think the case for him is too great. I have so much stuff on him why I think he's going to be great, and I'm not going to keep beating around the bush. And Swift's my guy. And I think it starts with the fact that, you know, as a rookie, he was fourth in in fantasy points per touch in the last 20 years, fourth highest over the last 20 years in rookie fantasy points per touch. The three players who finished above him all were the running back one in fantasy football at some point in their career. Christian McCaffrey, David Johnson, Alvin Kamara. All were later a running back one, the running back one in fantasy football. He also is one of seven players in Lance Zerline's running back grades to earn a 6.7 or higher grade. The other six players that all hit this number all hit a top six fantasy season by their third year in the league. DeAndre Swift is entering his third year. And not just the historical president, the touches, as you love, also favored DeAndre Swift. I know it felt like Jamal Williams was on the field 24-7, 365, but DeAndre Swift was eighth in the NFL in snap share last year. He was third in target share. He was a top five running back already before getting hurt. He was second in yards created per touch. The weighted opportunities that I talk about, which is what matters more than anything, beyond just the number of touches is like how much they weigh with the care, the targets being more important. He was top five in weighted opportunities. He tied for the lead in the NFL and most targets per game. He's had injuries. And I know that people like love going bagging on guys that miss two or three games, but like he didn't tear his Achilles or break his foot. Like he's had a groin strain that he missed no games from a concussion and a sprained shoulder. Like boohoo. Deandre Swift, I think will be a top five running back in fantasy football this year. He was already going to do it last year. He's going to do it this year. I'm, I'm all in on Swift. What say you? I've had it. That's interesting. I've had I had him at I've had him at seven and an eight and a half PPR, so he's okay. a little bit higher in PPR. Um, I think he has big upside. The question I think, and that's where I've got Jones at seven and Swift at, at eight, is that I could see the touchdown upside with Jones, and I yeah I'm having a tough time with Detroit seeing the touchdown upside. That's the one thing. But if that if that offense can go from poor to mediocre, then that could certainly that could certainly happen and benefit Swift. I think he's really good. And you pointed out a lot of um, advanced stats there and metrics that uh, point to him being good. And he's just, as you mentioned, he's got to stay healthy and we've got to find the end zone a few times, but he's right outside that group of, you know, Mixon is at six where you're just guaranteed workload. And then you're getting into these guys where you're just not sure that they're going to see the 20 plus touches that you want. Um, but Jones, Swift, Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette, they see high value catches and high value touches so i like it yeah and and honestly i should probably just say top three because i said top five last year um so so maybe i my flag plant should just be top three and i think he can do that 
Because like I said, like all the historical comparisons say he's going to do it, but the touches he got last year. Like last year, I was a, like a madman to people because like it, it clearly did not look like he was going to get the touches, but he did. And not only the touches point there, but the historical comparisons do. But again. So who were the three again that were? Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey, Kamara, and? David Johnson. So the question I think I have is, will the, the Lions give him that sort of workload? Because if you look back yeah. at those at those guys in those seasons, they were really high workload, I believe. So yeah. that's the question with Swift. Do they want yeah. to do it, or are they going to continue to work uh, Joel Williams in? That's fair. And I think that's the other part of it is that if he get the workload, I think no chance, like no doubt that he would because of the talent. And I think that's probably the better way to put it is the talent is clearly there. It's probably just a matter of, you know, whether or not, you know, the work will be there. And that remains to be seen. But nonetheless, I'm excited about it. And John, I'm super excited about having you on the show today. I thought we had a great show talking about a lot of running backs. I learned a lot. I hope you learned at least something other than, you know, what the LaFleurs talk about um, at Thanksgiving. Um, but nonetheless, it was wonderful to have you on the show. Before we go, 4-4 is a great site. You do an amazing job with your ranking. So is there anything you want to plug that the listeners need to know before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, my Twitter handle is right there on the screen if you don't follow me. Um, if you want a, a good, cheap uh, pro or DFS subscription to 444, you can get one right now with a $10 deposit as a new user at underdog, which is an amazing deal. They'll also match, I believe a hundred percent deposit up to a hundred bucks. So you can actually, uh, get a free hundred bucks out of it as well. Um, if you deposit a hundred, but, uh, there are also, we're always going to have some, uh, sign up deals. Just check my Twitter feed at the pin tweet at the top and, uh, you can find all my work over there. I'm exclusive to four for four. Absolutely. Well, John, it's been a pleasure having you in the listeners. It's been a pleasure talking football with you today. We appreciate you guys listening along with us as we talk about the greatest sport on earth in fantasy football. But as always, please leave a review. You guys already know what to do, and I hope you all have a great rest of your day.